With insight on the believer's response to sin, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. I'll tell you, although you and I won't become sinless, I'll tell you this, as a Christian, you will sin less. Your life will change. It'll be radical and crazy. And that even when you do stumble or fall or willingly choose sin, as a believer, you're going to feel bad about it. <laughs> you're actually going to care. Like, depending on where you are and how hard or soft your heart is, it'll beat you up. The Holy Spirit will continue to convict you. You have that sensitivity to sin. This is amazing grace. The forgiveness of sin is man's greatest need and God's greatest achievement. How? In a word, grace. It's not an excuse to continue to sin, but the remedy. With that said, we'll hear today on Abounding Grace that there's two responses to grace we need to guard against. As we continue in Romans, we'll hear of the danger of becoming a legalist or lawless. But Pastor Ed Taylor gets today's teaching started with the great theme of this liberating book. Paul takes his quill in hand and begins to write about God's grace, God's unmerited, undeserved love and favor toward man. When we truly deserve nothing but judgment, God gives nothing but love. The opportunity to avoid judgment by sending his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to take that judgment upon himself so that anyone anywhere, even right now, that anyone anywhere by faith in Jesus Christ can have their sins forgiven. And that is the sum and the substance of our time in Romans. It's really too bad, though, because like many things, grace is often misunderstood. You could look at grace on two opposite extremes often, and if you're not careful, you may find yourself in one of two extremes. The first one for you note-takers, when it comes to grace, the first extreme that many people fall into is what we could call legalism. Legalism, to be a legal list. These would be those that are the list givers, the rule keepers, the enforcers in the body of Christ making sure that everyone is doing exactly what they need to be doing by their own set of standards. For the legalist, everything seems to be reduced down to keeping rules and regulation as it relates to Jesus Christ. They're all about the rules. Have you done? Why haven't you done? You should have. You could have. You would have. Christianity for the legalist seems to be spoken of always in terms of religion of action, of outward appearances, what a person wears, how a person looks, what a person does. The legalist is very much interested in actions when it comes to grace. It's almost as if when the word grace is mentioned, the legalist in their mind already transitions and says, wait a minute, what rules? Where do we need to go? What do we need to do? And yet, I want to tell you, 
Some of you can relate to this directly because this is some of the past that you lived. But for the legalist, as good as they look outside, as good of appearance that they might put up inside, they're messed up. They feel so distant from God. Relationship just doesn't seem to be there. They are always sensing something is missing. Even when things are going good, let alone when they're going bad. They have a sense that they're okay with God, but they're not real good with God. That like in their own hearts, they project onto God this attitude of finding something wrong with themselves. Not just finding something wrong with others, but then assessing their own life and go, well, I'm not measuring up either. And there's this sense of, well, this overwhelming wave after wave after wave of guilt and condemnation. Not only of others, but of themselves. Legalism is horrible. Something missing, not quite there. And as good as their rules might be, they never seem to be able to live up to them. And neither can anyone else. That's one extreme when it comes to grace. Let me give you the other extreme, all the way on the other end. On one side, you have legalism. On the other side, you have what we could call lawlessness. A person that says, you know what? I live... In the economy of grace, I live in the age of grace. I'm free. They're a little bit more free-spirited when it comes to the things of the Lord, and they exercise their freedom often. You know what the Bible says, right? All things are lawful for me. Boy, that's where they stop, right there. Boom. All things are lawful for me. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Can't tell me what to do. The lawless. You'll come to the lawless and mention, hey, you know, that, that's sin. Oh, you can't judge me, brother. Who are you? You know, there's a fancy theological word for this. You might hear it from time to time. It's called antinomianism. I know that's a scary word, but it's very simple. It just means no law. The idea behind that is that there are those that live and say, oh, oh, you know what? Uh, you can't tell me what to do. I can do anything I want. And here's the pattern of a typical lawless person, a person that appears to grace and think that grace, the grace of God is just permission to live like the devil all week. And that's what, exactly what they do will come into church in the company of believers on a Sunday morning, raise our hands, sing unto the Lord, I love you, God, I'm sorry for everything I've done this week, and you kind of walk out, the lawless person will walk out the doors and say, you know, I feel real good about myself. I'm clean with God, got it all off my chest, only to go out perhaps even that Sunday night and start to live like the devil again. They'll start, maybe it's, for them it's partying, maybe for them it's screaming or yelling or throwing or breaking or whatever it might be. And in their minds, it's just justified. You know what? Church is coming. Sunday's just a few days away. You know what happened? I'll just ask for forgiveness again. That's all, you know, because God, he's going to forgive me. I live under grace, so I know I'll get forgiveness, and I'll just kind of live all I want all week long, show up for an hour on Sunday, ask for forgiveness, and leave with some sense of, well, I'm clean before the Lord. And let me just tell you, that is not grace. That's foolishness for the Christian. It's absolutely foolishness for us to think that Jesus Christ died on a Roman cross so that you and I could live any way that we want to live. It's just foolishness. It's not the heart of God for us. The lawless, you'll talk to them. You might even make some eye contact with them and say, look, brother, that behavior is wrong. You know what they'll do? Most likely, they'll cop some attitude like, you can't judge me. And you go, what do you mean I can't judge you? So, oh yeah, I'm a, I know the Bible. Turn over with me, would you? Matthew chapter 7. Let me walk you through it. They'll take you right here to Matthew chapter 7. And they'll go, who are you to judge me? 
And like, what are you supposed to say to that? I don't know, who am I? And I thought I was a friend. I thought you wanted me to tell you the truth, but I guess you don't. And you're gonna drop some Bible verse on me and flip me over the head because I care for you. I'm not trying to judge you. I'm not trying to bring you under some condemnation. I'm like trying to plead with you to live a life that pleases God, that draws people to him and not to yourself. So they'll go, they'll read you verse one, judge not, and they'll change their voice most like, judge not. <laughs> That's when you just smack them on the head, especially if you're friends, you know, just shut up, man, gosh. Judge not that you not be judged. And being the Bible scholars that they are, they misquote it, don't they? Now, we don't have time to get into it today, but many weeks ago, on a Wednesday night, we studied this, and, and we actually taught, and the title of the message is, How to Judge Righteously. Because even that attitude, well, we're not to judge any time in any place, that, that's not biblical either. Of course we are. We're supposed to judge between false teachers and false doctrine, and there's all sorts of things that we're supposed to give a righteous judgment to. So this isn't a blanket statement. Jesus goes on to explain in verses 2 through 6, and you can read it for yourself later on. He goes on to explain that what he's saying here is don't judge hypocritically. What that would look like is that, you know, you're lawless too, and you do the same thing. But you stand up and say to another lawless person, you can't be doing that. And then Jesus used this flowery language, you know, get the plank out of your eye, okay? Don't be dealing with specks in other people's eyes before you deal with the issues in your own life. And I would encourage you to grab that study. It's a great study on how to judge righteously because there should be a righteous judgment among the righteous people of a righteous God. And so those are two extremes. As Peter would say, you can jot it down in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but being bondservants of God. And so there's two extremes with grace. Paul, he takes us and he begins to teach us from chapters 1 through 11 all the different insights of grace. That's what we've been looking at for some time now. By way of review, let me share with you where we've come from. You ready? Chapters 1 through 3, Paul said, this is the problem of sin. And that is the big issue in life today. The issue in our lives is sin. We all have to deal with sin. I know it's not popular in our society today to even mention the word, but I don't really care what's a popular in society today. Sin is sin, it will always be sin, and it will always have the same kind of consequence in all of our lives. Believer and unbeliever alike. For the unbeliever, the consequence of sin is eternal separation from God under the judgment of God that was refused throughout their human existence. The consequence for sin for the believer varies. But we can be sure, the Bible says, that what we sow, that we also will reap. And so even as a believer, now that we have the strength of the, and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to avoid sin, when we sin, we're going to pay a price every time. You know how we, when we deal with sin, we like to categorize it, right? Well, it's a big one, little one, small one, large one, wide one, thin one, white one, black one, purple one, green one, whatever. So oh, that's not that big a deal, but it's still going to have, let's say it's a purple sin, you're going to have a purple consequence. <laughs> still going to have it. So it's not that bad. Well, okay, so it's not that bad, but you're going to have a not that bad consequence. You can't sidestep sin. You can't hide it. You can't pretend it doesn't exist. It, it wrecks all of our lives. It wrecks us. We even dabble in that stuff. That's why over and over again the Bible warns us, don't compromise. 
Don't compromise in your life, Christian. You're going to pay the price. I'm going to pay the price. I mean, consider us just all sitting in the same sanctuary today. How many times do we need to hear about a pastor falling into sin, but we realize, hey, listen, there's a target on pastors' backs, on spiritual leaders. And so in a pastor's mind, or let alone a pastor, just as a fellow believer, we just think, oh, okay, Ed, you just let me off the hook. <sighs> Thank you. You're the one with the target on your back. I don't need to worry about it. What are you talking about? I mean, all I have to do is just jump off the stage. I won't do that. Last time I did that, I hurt my knee really bad. So what if I just came and I just sat there with you? Because I do. Target's on my back as much as it is on yours. Compromise for you is going to lead to destruction too. I know that the, to the degree of where my life and my personal life and my giftings is able to minister to many more people, don't let that think that the 20 people that you influence are not important. Or the five people in your life, or the little kiddos walking around your house, or little grandkids in your house aren't as important. They are. Sin wrecks all of our life. In verses, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul made it very simple, didn't he? He said in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's like the, the dark backdrop, the difficulties. Uh, if it was a movie, chapter 1, 2, and 3 would be... Dun -dun -dun -dun. It would be that low, difficult, scary, something's going to happen type of chapters. And then I could hear the trumpets blare in chapter 4 and 5 as the provision for sin is taught us. The provision is found through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He uses Abraham as an example, remember? And the same faith that Abraham has, as it was accounted to him for righteousness, is the same faith you and I can have. And God has dealt a death blow to sin by sending his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, so that by faith in him, you can deal with the sin issue in your life. Not only can you receive forgiveness of sin, but also now receive the power to avoid it altogether. Now, that's not to say that you're going to become sinless on this side of eternity. You and I will not. As long as we're in this human carcass, we're going to deal with sin. But I'll tell you, although you and I won't become sinless, I'll tell you this, as a Christian, you will sin less. Your life will change. It'll be radical and crazy, unbelievable. And that even when you do stumble or fall or willingly choose sin, as a believer, you're going to feel bad about it. <laughs> you're actually going to care. Like, depending on where you are and how hard or soft your heart is, it'll beat you up. The Holy Spirit will continue to convict you. You have that sensitivity to sin. And so we have in chapters 4 and 5, it's wonderful. It's the provision of the gospel. Chapter 6, 7, and 8. Flip over to Romans chapter 8, would you? 6, 7, 8 is the power of the gospel. It's so incredibly powerful. I mean, remember chapter 7? Remember Paul? Remember when he said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And you can relate to that, can't you? It's like, man, I, I, want, I want this in my life. I want to be a better such and such, or I want to deal with this, or I want to be a victory or freedom over this. I want to... <sighs> the things I want to do, I don't do. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He says, the things, the things that I do, I don't want to do. But the things that I want to do, I don't do. He goes back and forth. The wrestle and the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And... We're blown away because this is an apostle. Like, this is a guy that God inspired and he used to write more than a quarter of the New Testament. And he struggles like we do. He wrestles with the flesh like we do. 
I mean, he comes to notice at the end of chapter 7, he says this, and how can any of us not relate to this? In chapter 7, pick up in verse 24, he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He just comes to the conclusion, I'm, I'm a wreck without Jesus in my life. I can't do anything apart from him. And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord because the power of the gospel is that you don't have to be the same old kind of person that you've always been. You don't have to keep building walls to keep people away. You don't have to be so sarcastic. You don't have to be so angry. You don't have to anymore. The freedom is in Jesus Christ. Now, whether you choose, whether I choose to accept that freedom or not is up to us. But it's ours through him. And then in chapter 9, 10, and 11, we have the perplexity of the gospel is what we called it. Those are some heavy chapters, weren't they? We just finished them. I mean, this, they, they were heavy. They're great. I loved studying them. They were challenging to me. They made me wrestle a lot of late nights just wrestling over things and thinking them through and praying over them for us as a congregation, for me personally. Man, it was incredible. But the banner over Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 as it relates to the gospel is simply this. God is faithful. Even in the midst of human failure, and who was used as an example but the nation of Israel? He says, listen, I am faithful to my promises to the nation of Israel. I will fulfill. I haven't cast them aside. I'm not done with the nation of Israel. And we learn through these chapters that if God is going to keep his promises to the nation of Israel, he's going to keep his promises to us. So with all of that now, you know, the essence of our time together today, this particular Bible study is to prepare you. Because from chapter 12 now through the end to about halfway through chapter 15 is all about action. It is all about application. There's going to be a lot of action, a lot of exhortation, a lot of encouragement, a lot of things that relate to doing the gospel. Because the gospel lived out in our lives is lived out by godly actions. And the reason why we need to pause here before we jump in is because there's always a balance here. If you're just joining us, like you're new to the church, you're just joining us, you haven't been with us for the last couple years, you may falsely conclude that we're all about do, 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 and we have run over to this one extreme or to the other extreme. But right doctrine will always lead to the right duty in your life. When your beliefs are correct, then your behavior will be correct. And you know, that, that is such an error in our lives where we don't have the right beliefs. And that's why our behaviors are so skewed. Like for some, sin is such a prevalent part of your life because you don't believe that God is holy and that holiness matters to him. So it really doesn't cross your mind that when you're starting to make a decision, it's like, well, I, I, you know, I can do this and get away with it because nobody knows. Are you kidding me? A holy God knows. He sees our every move. And the sin that we do against him breaks his heart comes against him, not only in breaking his heart, but screams against his holiness and his righteousness in our lives. And so right belief, Romans chapter 12 now, verse 1, opens up with this strong exhortation. We're not even going to get into it today, but we will in the coming weeks as the Lord would lead us. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul, he opens up chapter 12 and he says, I beg you. You can write next to that word, beg. 
I'm begging you here. I'm begging you to respond to the gospel. I'm begging you to let the gospel of Jesus Christ change your behavior, your actions, your life. It's not just something to raise a hand or stand up and pray a little prayer and go, well, everything's fine, I'm saved, and I can live however I want. Paul's going to say, are you serious? Is that really what you think Christianity is reduced to? He says, no, no, I beg you to respond to the grace of God, his unmerited, his unearned, his undeserved love and favor toward us, that through grace now we have a love relationship with God. Our righteousness, our rightness before God is not based on what we have done or what we do, but based on what Jesus has done for us. Not a list of rules and regulations, but truly a lifestyle of relationship with a God who loves us. Now, a trap that's easy to fall into is this idea of, I will try harder next time. It is, a, it is a trap that if you fall into it, it is horrible. I'll try harder. Let's just say you had a bad week this week, and you're really bummed out about yourself and your Christianity, and as you analyze and even pray through it, you're even, even repentant, like you've dealt with it, and now it's time to move on. If you're not careful, the time to move on will be, well, I'll try harder for you, Lord. You know what? I'll try harder next time. That's kind of ingrained in us from a, little, from a young age, isn't it? I'll try harder. I, I just really want to please you, Lord. So I'm going to go for it. You know, God, I will read my Bible more this week. I think that'll help. I, I really want you to know I'm serious here. I'm going to read more this week for you, Lord, because my, this last week was horrible. You know, God, and not only will I, I am going to pray more. I mean, I am going to pray a lot more. I'm going to turn the radio off. I'm not going to watch TV. I'm going to pray, pray, pray. God, I want you to know I'm serious. You know what, Lord? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to church more. I know they do things all throughout the week, and it's not just going to be Sunday for me anymore. I'm going on Wednesday. I'm going to try to see what that's going on on Thursday. I know they got something going on at Home Fellowship on Monday. I mean, I am going to be there. God, I want you to know that I'm trying hard for you. And then it sort of gives you a sense of things are okay, doesn't it? Because you're trying harder, and you're really going for it. But do you realize what you've just done? You've put your relationship with God all on your shoulders and all in your good deeds. And so, okay, you have a good week. You have prayed 62 and a half hours, one minute shy. You know how you know? You've been writing it down. <laughs> 15 minutes here, six minutes here, half a second here, and you've been adding it up because that's how you're measuring out. I, I really, man, my prayer life was great, but you're going to be really messed up next week when you're sick and you're laid out in bed and you're sleeping all those hours instead of praying because now you're relating to God. My prayer life's real cool, but now something's happened. You can't pray as much. Or you really read this week and you've caught up on all the yearly reading and, and you've read a couple extra and, and you've even highlighted. You got a new highlighter and now it's green. Every time you read green, 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 and then man, there's like 20 pages this week. It's all green. But what happens next week when you go to the eye doctor and you find out, you know, you got to wear these dark glasses, and you really can't be in bright light, and, and, and you're not going to be able to read as much this week. And you go, oh, no, 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 no. That can't happen, Doc. you got to give me my sight back. i got to read. i got to catch up. i got to stay up. And it's a trap. We'll hear more on this try-harder trap next time when Pastor Ed Taylor returns to Romans. In the meantime, remember the basis of your relationship with the Lord is based on His grace, not your performance. 
It's not an excuse to sin, but the remedy for it. You're listening to Abounding Grace. To give this a second listen, all you need to do is visit AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or you can listen through our app, and that can be found by searching for Calvary Aurora. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners. Each gift that comes in serves to help us pay for radio time and production costs. And think of this, you'll be helping thousands all over the world learn about God's amazing grace and how to grow by it. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'd like to say thanks by sending you a useful resource. It's A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. I'm sure we've all experienced pain, loss, or heartache at the hands of other believers, and it can be a confusing time. But rather than turn bitter and angry, you can experience healing and hope. Gene Edwards looks at David, Saul, and Absalom. I know you'll be touched as you read this incomparable story. Just call 877-30-GRACE to make your request and donation today. We'll pick up where we left off in Romans next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.